0: We are um, getting ready, heading into summer baptism next Sunday on Memorial Day weekend, and um, we're excited. Before I jump into our missions week kickoff sermon, um, I want to remind everybody that we have a new young adult pastor, Mr. Banks Ramsey, and um, he will be. He's been working hard, um, keeping long hours, and. Um, We're excited. This Thursday is the summer kickoff for what will be a newly named called The Well. And um, it's for all college-age young adults this Thursday night. And then next Sunday, um, there is a luncheon after the second service for all of that crowd. On Mother's Day, I realized there were about 25 or 30 in both services, College-age kids who came home or who had just finished up their semester. Um, It's going to be a solid group, and I just, I really want to encourage you. Banks has a heart for the Lord. He was raised in this North Atlanta area. Lots of friends and lots of connections, and we're expecting big things out of our young adult college-age ministry. So hopefully you will encourage your, your son or daughter or friends or neighbors to, um, be a part of that I think it's going to be really really good and as I mentioned earlier I've got to speak in code um, between services and then at the end of the second service this is a big week for several of our family members in our church who are running for political office and um, you may go pastors shouldn't be political I'm not necessarily but I am being responsible And um, responsible to what I believe biblical commands are, you know. The children of Israel, when they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, the prophet said, seek the welfare of the city. And that's not welfare like what we understand welfare. Do what you can to make sure while you're there in that evil place that the city fares well. And so we have several people who are engaged and um, paraphernalia will be around and there'll be covert people around afterwards and um, I just pray that you will in these districts that you will be supportive. And I know it's a slippery slope, but I make no apology. I don't think politics is going to save our nation, but I think we'd be foolish to just sit back and let them do what they're doing right now. And I don't make any bones or apology about it. And so I just want you to know we fully support and we are behind you guys 110%, everything we can, even risk whatever we risk. We're going to stand with you because I think we're in a risky season. What's coming, if you saw the recent Laws that are coming out of California as it relates to sexual abuse, it's, it's absolutely insanity. And so we're going to stand against it in the name of Jesus with tears in our eyes and love for lost people. Amen. It is Missions Week, and um, we're real excited about this week. We have, we support on an ongoing basis, it's over 25 missions and missionaries from around the world and um, most all of them are going Are here, many of them are here this week this morning and many will be coming later this week and um, I, as we kick off I want to say a couple things a lot of pastors occasionally have to go and find evidence or pictures or stories from the mission field to come back and tell their people hey you're helping to contribute To that. And um, they struggle to find and they just want people to think that the missions arm of the church has a pulse. And our missions here at Restoration is entirely different. We are the inverse of that. I, I can't keep you up to date on all that God is doing around the world through the missionaries that you support every almost every day at least every week and most times it's two or three or four times a week i get a report from kenya or uganda or the congo or venezuela or kennesaw state university campus every week and you've heard me i'll get videos messages on facebook pictures of new buildings that are going up with in orphanages from around the world and um so we are, this morning, kicking off our missions week, and I wanted to say a couple things. First, I want to express my appreciation to Nicole McFar- McFarland. Nicole, would you stand up? We are so blessed to have this missions warrior. You'll hear throughout the week how God called her and her husband, Parker, and their family. Um, she is our missions coordinator director of all missions efforts and as our church has grown and I haven't been able to be as accessible to all of our missionaries Nicole is doing an amazing job and for months she has planned and we have a week full of meaningful activities and um, she has the spirit of excellence on her you are sincere in your love for missions she teaches missions in other churches and around the country and we're so fortunate to have you And, Nicole, from the bottom of my heart, we say thank you for all you've done to make this week special. And then to all of our missionaries, I know we didn't have room for all of them, but we were packed into my office and the senior pastor's suite. Could I have all of you stand? I want our church family to see. And, Kirk, I know you're back there with Vision Warriors. If you'll stand, would you also? Yeah. Come on. Praise the Lord great having all of you just beautiful beautiful thank you and so we kick off a week where our theme is let's go y'all ready no y'all not let's go this is what god says Vamanos. let's go listo Ready? Missions Week 2022. Two scriptures I want to drop and then we're going to we're going to get I'm going to distill four things down that I think God wants to say to us. And then we're going to hear from some of our missionaries. John chapter 20 earlier in that chapter, Jesus it's resurrection Sunday. He's just been resurrected. The women go to the tomb, then they go back to the disciples. Tell them what's happened and the disciples are hiding locked away hiding for their lives, they were uh, overcome with fear. Verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Sometimes the Bible says things that you go, Boy, that's an understatement. That's one of them. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You think? And then verse 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You can imagine what's happening in the room. He says it twice. And then he makes this grand statement. You need this in your spiritual DNA. You need this on the front of your brain. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now everybody look here. Jesus is saying, As the Father sent me from heaven to the earth with an enormous task to go to the cross and purchase salvation and redeem humankind. And you may think, well, that was easy. Jesus was born to do that. Well, in the garden, he sweated it out and wanted to take a different route, but then he ended up saying to the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus says... Everything I left heaven with to come here and to accomplish what I've just accomplished, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you with the same resources, the same toolbox, the same tools in that toolbox. And then the next verse says, He breathed on them, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. About six weeks later, just before the day of Pentecost, about five weeks later actually, in Acts chapter 1, everybody look, this is right before Jesus, has, he ascends and goes back to the Father. And it's those, that 40 days of him post-resurrection being with the disciples, and he appears to a crowd of people, of over 500 people. And this was a special time, post-resurrection. And they're cherishing it. And then Jesus begins to prep them that he's getting ready to ascend and leave the earth and go back to heaven. And in verse 6, when they pick up on what's happening, so when they had come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to put somebody a conservative in the White House? Are we going to be back in control? Are we okay now? And Jesus Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And I love that. So he answers, I don't know about all that. And then there's a big, verse 8, there is a big but. But, I don't know about that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus is saying, it's about time for you to go into Jerusalem, the local area. Jerusalem, Judea, the region, Samaria. You're going to even cross racial barriers. And then to the uttermost. Jesus says, but you're going to receive a power that's going to make you an effective witness all over the globe. And we sit here this morning because... That power fell. And the power to be an effective witness in the face of persecution, in the face of all kinds of obstacles. We sit here today having a faithful experience. in Jesus Christ, true Christians, because they received that power. And so this morning, four things I want to say to you quickly. Number one, God is a God who is on mission. He's on mission, from the fall in Genesis through the Old Testament. He is on mission to save humankind, to restore him into a meaningful relationship. As soon as Adam and Eve took of the fruit and the fall happened, immediately, in Genesis 3:15, God speaks immediately about His plan to send a redeemer, to redeem humankind. And in the New Testament, that redeemer comes to earth in the form of a baby, the Messiah, who would die for our sins and then pay the due penalty that would set humankind free from the guilt and shame of sin. And then Jesus comes, and he's clear about being on his mission. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Years ago, um, what's, what's the uh, writer from San Antonio? My, it just slipped my mind. Max, okay, who said that? You get 50 points. Um, that's <laughs> awesome. Called him the hound of heaven. God is on mission. He sent Jesus, who came to seek and save that which was lost. And then Luke 13, verse 8, tells us that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Listen, God creating mankind with a free will, him having foreknowledge that Adam and Eve would fall. He didn't predestine that they would fall, but he had foreknowledge they would. And in knowing they would fall, he still created them, and had a plan for Jesus, his son, to go and be slain, to be crucified on the cross. God is on mission because he loves humankind. He is willing to reach down and God become one of us because he is on mission. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he makes it clear that he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent. The Bible says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Nina Gunner said, If you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have anything left but the covers, because God is a God who is on mission. From Genesis to Revelation, he is on mission. Secondly, I want you to know this morning that missions is about winning souls. If we as a church, and we do a fairly good job at this, committing to the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, being committed to the great commandment and the great commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples, somebody say disciples, of all the nations, not believers, not converts, disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Oswald J. Smith says, any church not involved in the Great Commission has forfeited It's biblical right to exist. Brothers and sisters, the Great Commission doesn't call us to go build churches or ministries, although these are, of course, needed. And when they're done in a biblical way, they win souls. Souls are won to Jesus, and disciples are made. But the Great Commission is not about all of those side issues. There are many great Christian causes, Such as Christian TV, Christian radio, Christian education, pro life issues, church growth principles, spiritual leadership, marketplace ministry, and the list goes on and on and on. But all of these have a goal, a purpose. There is a bullseye, and it is the call of the Great Commission to win souls, to lead people to Jesus Christ, the Messiah not our church. And to disciple them and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I wish somebody would say amen. Amen. Now, in Guatemala, Dr. Albs, Medical Missions Ministry, they provide medical care out in some of the most remote villages to people who haven't seen doctors, some of them ever, caring for people, taking care of their medical needs. So that they might win souls. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, and he who wins souls is wise. Turn and tell the people beside you, don't be stupid. Now, God is on missions. He is on a mission. And missions is about winning souls making disciples hear me we're not just building or digging wells in south africa we're not just giving missions so we can have a missions department in our church we're not doing a missions week so we'll have something sweet and impressive to put on facebook we are in into missions because our God who put his spirit in us cares about it and we care about it because his spirit is in us. And as a pastor in the U.S., you know, I was a little boy who grew up, most little boys grew up going, oh, I can't get serious with God in my teen years. He'll call me to be a missionary in Africa. And I was like, I can't get serious with God in my teen years because he'll make me a pastor in America, you know? I envy these guys. Y'all know I'm like wholly frustrated being a pastor in America because I'm kind of hardcore and I know I'm a strong drink, high octane. You know I am because I, I see all the foolishness. We've made church about church and we've made it about things that are ancillary. They're not, they're not the main deal. It's not the bullseye. And pastors, I know Would they rather have a big offering on Monday morning that gets reported? Or 25 people come to Christ? And I will tell you, I run with them. For some of them, that's not an easy choice. And they can go months with nobody getting saved as long as the budgets and the crowds are up. But let Restoration Church be committed to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. May there be lots of love for him. And therefore, because we love him, we love people. And when people come here, may we see them come to Christ by the dozens, by the hundreds in the coming years. Because God is on mission. And the mission is to seek and save that which was lost. Come on, somebody. Amen? Now, don't be stupid. Winning souls requires sacrifice. And obedience, in fact, following God, being a biblical Christian, requires sacrifice and obedience. Pastor Chuck, we know that already. Do we? Because here in our country, listen to sermons. There's always a hook. If you'll do this, God will bless you. Almost every sermon preached in America has this consumer blessing even if you give to ministry or missions, you're going to be blessed. How about just give to missions because God calls you to give to missions? How about just serve just because there's a joy just in sacrificial serving, but there's always this hook. And I just, oh, I got, I got the old timey coming up in me. Uh, 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 help me. Everybody stretch your hands and say, deliver him from that mountain spirit. Now, God is a God of blessing. He delights in blessing his children. And we thank God for it. But he calls us to sacrifice. Please listen. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. I could talk about praise isn't praise until it's sacrificial. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable. It's the very least you can do. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and accept on perfect will of God. The influence of the prosperity gospel has given us a Christianity that is marked by comfort and blessing and convenience. And Jesus taught about a life of sacrifice and downward mobility where if you want to live, you've got to die. Luke 17, whoever seeks to save his life will actually lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. What? Ministry is a sacrifice. Serving is a sacrifice. Being a Christian, it's a sacrifice to your flesh. That's why you have to kill it. Hosting a small group, volunteering in the nursery, it's a sacrifice. Leading a small group. The wor- I, I, saw, I got a notice that Lou showed up at 5.37 a.m. this morning. The worship team got here before, while it was still dark. The parking lot ministry is getting ready to come into a season where they're going to come into service Sweaty, really sweaty. And that eliminates about 70% of American Christians. Somebody else can serve. And we don't understand. We don't understand the call to sacrifice, to obedience. The New Testament reveals a Christianity that is truly upside down. If you want to live, you must first die. If you want to lead, you must become a servant. The first will be last, and the last shall be first. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses it for the cause of the gospel will save it. We are a church, brothers and sisters, that believes in missions, and we are committed and supported, and we are committed to giving and supporting and to going. We have carved out this year, initially the budget came back to me and we had marked $300,000 to give to missions. And just a few minutes after seeing that, I looked at the the bottom line and I was like, I reached out to the the accountant on our elder board and I said, I feel led that we should increase it to a half a million dollars. It's well over 10% of our annual budget. A half a million dollars. And I told Coleman, and I told them last night on a Zoom call, we're committed to giving a half a million dollars. Now, don't any of y'all ask for most of it? Okay, it's got to be spread out to a lot of people. Coleman, you know, um, I my mother taught me you can't outgive God, you just can't. I heard it a million times growing up. I've learned you want to give until it hurts. Or at least until it stretches your faith. And because God is on mission, He loves lost people. We love Him, and we love what He loves. My first real mission experience in missions was in 1991. I was 25 years old, and um, I was a youth pastor here, as a matter of fact, and I, we had a bunch of kids that drove BMWs and lived on the golf course. And I'd been here about 18 months, and I was pulling my hair out. You can imagine. Can you imagine me back? I was intense back then. Bunch of ratty, knucklehead, North Atlanta spoiled brats. Took me about two years, and we finally had a spiritual breakthrough. And you know where it started? I'm sitting out in San Diego at the Youth Specialties Youth Conference, about 2,000 other people, and Tony Campolo speaks. Anybody even remember that name? Tony Campolo speaks, and... um, He's talking about inner city missions in Philadelphia and something. I was like, I, we got to do that. I, I, so I got home, and that was before the internet, and um, I pulled up my, cor- my uh, cart and horse, my buggy out there, and, um, and I was like, I called. Remember when you have to call information and try and get someone's number? And long story short, I got it, and we, we took I don't know, it was about 30 kids, to the inner city of Philadelphia on 51st Street and stayed in an old abandoned schoolhouse building. And we had to raise money. I had to sell the vision to not just the kids, which was hard enough. And I'll tell you about how we did that. I hooked them, and we snookered them into going. And... um Let me tell you how we did that. I'm like, how am I going to get a bunch of kids who want to live and play and go to Lake Lanier Islands all summer and goof around and go to Six Flags? And um, so I was like, you know what? I went down one Wednesday afternoon and got a homeless guy from down under the bridges by the old dome. And his name was Curtis. And I brought him here and I was like, Curtis, I want you to come speak to my youth group. And he came, we took him to to the old Ryan Steakhouse, which was my kitchen when I was single 8 there, eight days a week. And um, and so I brought Curtis in, and we just interviewed him. I said, like, Curtis, and and I remember the kids. Some of y'all are here, and y'all were there then. And I said, we asked him about crack cocaine. How old was he when he first took his first um, crack cocaine, whatever that is, hit, or whatever it is? And he said, I was such and such. And one of the kids goes, how long did it take you to get addicted? He goes, oh, immediately, within 10 minutes, I would have sold my sister for another uh, hit of crack cocaine. And our kids were and we're like, what's the most scary thing that's ever happened to you? And he said, me and my cousin and Evander Holyfield were sitting at Capitol Homes, and we were young teenagers, and we heard a shot. And between me and Evander, my cousin falls over, He got shot. And the kids are like, and the Holy Spirit came in that room. And I said, how many of you want to go to Philadelphia at the end of July and minister to people in situations like Curtis grew up in? And then all the kids are like, and now we've got too many, we can't take all of them. And they go home and tell their parents about that. What happened? And Pastor Chuck's gonna take us to an old abandoned schoolhouse building, 51st Street, Southwest Philly. It's gonna be awesome. And I had them, because the, the kids were like, Mom, it's called faith. Dad, we pray to a God we can trust, right? I feel called to go. And I'm like, Woohoo! Come on, somebody! And we loaded those kids up, and all of them wanted to go. Until we got up there. And this was before Waze and smartphones. And we got lost in Southwest Philly. And we had like a a caravan of four or five vans. And we pulled up to some old gas station. that had, you know, all the protective windows and everything. And I was like, i got to go in and find out where we are and how to get to where we're going. And I turned around to the whole van full of kids. And I said, don't anybody get out. And they looked at me like. They were like nailed down to the seats. They're like, we ain't ever getting out until we get back to Georgia, you know? And for the next 10 days, they served in those projects. We had a foot washing service that lasted about three hours on our last night there. And those kids were radically changed. I was changed. My mother, who was in her 60s at that point, wanted to go with us. And we served. And it actually transformed the youth ministry here at Restoration Church. It actually had an impact on the whole church. Kids were telling their parents, don't get me anything for Christmas this year. I want us to send our money to EAPE up in South Philly. And God did an amazing work. Why am I telling you all that story? Because to win souls, it requires a sacrifice and it calls for faith. How many of you want to get on the adventure that God is on, the mission that calls for sacrifice, but we see souls come to know him? Come on, somebody. Now, oh, I'm going to skip over that part. Skip over that part. Now, so here comes the hook, the North Atlanta consumer hook. The sacrifice, it is a real sacrifice. But it is rewarding. Psalm 19, verse 7. I won't read it all, but just skip down verse 11. That's a great passage on the instructions of the Lord. The Word, the Bible, the commandments of the Lord. Verse 11, it says, They are a warning to your servant. A great reward for those who obey him. A great reward. Now look here, brothers and sisters. Um... This is hard to describe where we were as a church five plus years ago. We had buildings that were in deferred maintenance to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. At one point, we had 18 HVAC units on campus, and only 13 of them worked. We had leaks in the roof, weeds in the parking lot, and not a lot of resources and hear me i'm telling you this because you need to know what we're inheriting here i told the lord in prayer in that little prayer room one afternoon god the only way i know out of this is through prayer and giving and we didn't have anybody yet i said god Every missionary you send to us organically, we will give to everyone. And as soon as I said that, the next Sunday, our old youth pastor says, hey, I've got this sweet couple coming in. They teach school, mostly Muslims, in Jerusalem, and they're going to be coming through. And I'm like, okay, here's the first organic connection. They're going to stand up, tell their story. Everybody's going to be moved, and there's going to go all of our tithes. The stinking Jerusalem, Israel. And um, they stood up, talked. They were the first ones, and they're here now, Alfred and Kylie Curry, three children now. And it's been our honor to bless you and support you. And I could tell you one after the other. uh, Kimberly, you were one of the first few um, ministers to human traffic victims here in the North Georgia area. And um, Tom, old Tom Jennings, flying the ointment. Tom goes, hey, you're giving out missions. And uh, I'm, I'm a part of this street outreach witnessing program in Cartersville. And I'm like, okay, Lord, here we come. And we meet in Norcross, and my heart is moved. And every stinking time, the Lord, there'll be a number. I'm like, okay, we could give this and the lord will say or you could double it and give this. And I'm like all right every with every single one of you all every single one what god told me to give is double what i wanted to give. And we have given it every single time. And as we look back over the last 5 years of ministry of us giving, you last year on this sunday telling the story, and we ran the numbers while you were talking, and I was like, we need, you need 50 grand, and I came up at the end, and I said, all right, Coleman, we got you, we're going to give 50 grand, we'll commit to that, someone had given 10 grand, and they said, we'll match if the church will give 10 grand, I committed to 50 grand. And I stood up here and before I got out of the service, we only were at one service last week. Some of y'all how many of you were here last year when Coleman came in here and took all of our money. All of it. <laughs> and before I left this room, we had 45 I had $45,000 worth of checks. By the time I got back in the next Monday, in in 8 days, $195,000 had come in. To bless orphans around the world. And since that, we didn't know what was going to happen in Ukraine, where all you've been. But for each of you, I'm speaking at a little missions conference up in the mountains of North Georgia, almost to uh, South Carolina, and then I meet Michael and Kayla Dawson from the jungles of Venezuela, 300 miles as the crows fly from the nearest town. Five hundred miles on a river, where they have to take virtually a little John boat with an engine in it to get there, and they're here. Come here, Michael, real quick. Give it up from Venezuela, Michael Dawson. Pastor, good to see you. Um, Tell us, we were chatting just before we came out this morning. Tell me the uh, story about how your parents got there in 1953. Um, my dad... You've been in the jungle. Yeah, I'm, one, I'm, brother. you have to
1: excuse me. I'm from the jungle. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my dad had fought all through World War II. As a matter of fact, he was the first group of Army people that went into Pearl Harbor after the bombing. And so he served in the entire, almost the entire war. He was, he was captured in the Philippines by the Japanese, and he escaped. And this tribe of very primitive indigenous people hid him out for weeks uh, from, the, uh, from the Japanese. He finally made it back to his lines. And then, long story, he made it back to the United States. He'd been wounded, made it back to the United States. He uh, met and married my mother. And his brother kept insisting that he come to church with him. And they figured when they started going to church, they wanted to go to a big big church. They didn't want to go to a little country church. Well, my, my uncle was going to a little country church, and he just kept insisting. So just basically to shut him up, they, they went to church with him, and both of them wound up getting saved that morning. And two weeks later, there was a missionary from Bolivia talking about the five missionary men that had been killed with the Ayore in, in Bolivia, and he gave a challenge, and both dad and mom uh, committed their lives to serving the Lord that, that Sunday. This was two weeks after they had been saved, Less than a month later, they were in New Tribes, Bible, uh, New Tribes Boot Camp, and they went the full-time, the, full uh, the year training. And Dad had always purposed to go back to the Philippines to reach that tribe that had, that had, that had uh, saved his life. And, and yet, the week before they were to be released, they got an urgent telegram from Venezuela saying that the Yanomama had just been uh, contacted and they desperately needed a young family. So dad went to the mission director and he said, Millie and I fit that. We, we have young kids. We have three young kids and we're, we're, we're young. We're ready to go. And, and the guy said, you don't have any support. You came right from getting saved right to here. You don't know anybody. You don't know any churches. There's nobody behind you. How will you go? And, and dad said, you've spent a year telling us that we needed to trust God. We're willing to trust God. And, and the guy said, Joe, you don't even have any, enough to get a ticket. And dad said, well, what would it take to get us a ticket? And the guy said, uh, he figured it out and he said $500. And in 1953, that was a lot of money, I, I'm told. Uh, <laughs> I'm identifying as young. But <clears throat> anyway, anyway, they, dad said- You've been said, in
0: America too long now. <laughs>
1: Dad said, well, if, if God would supply that money, would you take that as, as, as God's uh, command, God's uh, directing us that way? And the guy looked at Dad intently, and then he said, yes, I would. So Dad and Mom went back to their cabin, got down on their knees beside their bed, and started praying that God would give them the, the finances to go to, to go to Venezuela. Not 10 minutes later, there was a knock on their door, and they got up and went out. There was one of their, their fellow students uh, her and her husband were getting ready to leave because their church had a missions conference, and they were leaving a week early, and the lady gave dad, handed dad an envelope. And after she walked out the door, mom said, well, what do you think it is, Joe? And dad said, uh, oh, it's probably just $10. You know, isn't it beautiful, though, that God, God uses us and, and, and blesses us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And and they opened that envelope, and it was a check for $500. And they ran up as quickly as they could back to the boot camp director's uh, office, and they said, now listen, you have to understand, you have to know, we did not have this when we were up here talking, uh, not hardly 20 minutes ago. And and the guy took the check, and he looked at it, and he said, "Uh, Joe, I have to be honest. I said I would release you to go, just to get you out of my hair because I did not think that you were going to find $500 in a million years. Well, they left for Venezuela in 1953, and uh, Dad passed away in the jungle in uh, 2011, and Mom just passed away last year again in the jungle. And what a, what a testimony and, a, and a just of trust that we saw uh with their lives that they were faithful to the end because we serve a faithful God how awesome is that come on
0: awesome and Michael didn't she give birth like right after you guys got there
1: uh yeah um two weeks after they got there and if I could take just a minute, because this is really important in, in the long scheme of things. Mom had such a terrible time in that primitive hospital there in Puerto Ayacucho that she figured if she never saw that hospital, it would be too soon again. Well, not too long later, after, you know, uh, after my sister was born, they went up, they, it wasn't even a month, they went up into the jungle, way up there, and, and uh, the boat that took them up there 10, 12 days up the river, dropped them off. And took the two missionaries that were two single guys that were there and took them on back down to town. Left my dad and mom there. They did not speak one word of the language. Not, n- nothing. And it's a, it's a really long story. We've got a lot of books if anybody wants to read these yeah, stories. Because I they're don't have great. time to, to tell everything. But... Uh, Because mom had had such a terrible time in that hospital, she didn't want to go back. So when she was pregnant with me, the mission ordered, basically ordered her to go back out to town to have me. And dad and mom went back and forth with the mission leadership. Long story short, they finally gave them their blessing, and I was born in the jungle. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what year, because remember, I'm identifying as young. But (laughs) years later, years later, then President Chavez ordered all missionaries out of the, the indigenous areas. And this, this order was signed in November of, of uh, 2005. And it had to be, uh, had to be finished by uh, March of 2006. I mean, February of 2006. He gave them three months to leave. Our family decided to stay. And because myself and a sister, younger sister, had been born in the jungle we had birthrights to stay in the jungle, and God continues to give us an open door today. Um, Sixty-nine years later, oh, no. no Isn't
0: that no. awesome. <laughs> Just saying.
1: You need to come get on, a give the Lord praise. You need to get a calculator. <laughs>
0: awesome, Peter. Come join me real quick, Peter Wagura from Kenya. Ladies and gentlemen, Alive to Serve Ministry. (laughs) Alive to Serve. Tell them what we talked about. How did it become known, Alive to Serve
2: Ministry? When I was called by God into missions in the year 2005, when there happened a massacre in Masabit in the north of Kenya, whereby in a single day 93 people died and god asked me how many have died having never heard the gospel so i responded to the call of the missions and in 2010 i became a full-time mich- missionary in the north coast of kenya in 2017 and
0: you left a career as a pharmacist? yeah i
2: was a pharmacist i left it i remember waking up one morning in 2009 December and telling my wife that we are going to the mission field and she asked me even me I told her, my family is going. So, so we had only one, uh, one child, two years, and so we got into the mission field, amongst uh Muslims in North Coast Kenya. Now in 2017, first of July, it was on a Friday. We are going for a mission trip with a friend of mine called John, we are in a bus. And we are attacked by military, uh, terrorists from Somalia. They are called Al Shabaab.
0: Terrorists from Somalia? Yeah, from
2: Somalia. They are shooting at our bus on the side of the window where I'm sitting. And the bus stops because the windshield was broken and it fell on the driver. And so he thought that he had been shot. And I jumped on the window. And the moment it was hitting the ground, those guys were there aiming at me. I got into the bushes. It was daytime around 10. And in the bushes, they are shooting at me, no bullet caught me. So I'm in the bushes and I knelt down and I made two prayers. The first prayer was, God, if I'm dying, let me come to you. Lord, if I'm not dying, blind their eyes so that they won't see me, make them deaf so that they won't hear me. Once I'm gone, open their eyes and their ears so that one day they'll hear the gospel. I woke up and ran again. Coming out of the forest, I found a Muslim, a man whose garment was bloody. And he told me i am raising my hands now if they want to shoot me let them shoot me and he told me give me my your shot and i gave him my my shot he gave me his garment i wore it so it was bloody and i'm sitting there and he's he's telling me if the if the terrorist comes again they won't know that you're not one of us so eventually they never came by God's grace but my friend was shot four times and he died in the process And that was on Friday. So on Saturday, I was a bitter man with God. And I'm asking God, why did you do this? What am I going to tell the wife and the sons of my friend? And God takes me back to the Bible. John chapter 9 and verse number 4. Let's work the works of him who sent me when it is during the day. For the night is coming when no man can can work. So I knew John's night has come. My night is beckoning. So I am alive to serve. Come on, give the Lord praise.
0: We love you, brother.
2: Just to say, on 19th, 19th or 18th of October last year, I stood in this pulpit. I had a need of $5,000. You gave it to me. It went into purchasing our vehicle. That vehicle has been traversing the whole of Kenya. I have statistics of people who have been lent to Christ through the gift that you gave. We've ministered in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and recently in Congo. And right now, even i start here, even next week, we are ministering among the widows who husbands were killed on January this year by Al-Shabaab terrorists. You have made our lighthouse to be much brighter. Come God on, bless man. you.
1: Come
0: on. you. Mm.
2: Praise you, Lord.
0: We could go on and on and on. Let me Satish just showed up. Welcome, Satish. Good to see you from India. Satish came two weeks ago, had been following us. India. Not long ago, he saw the Jesus film playing on the side of a building in a field. His his family has been Buddhist priests for years. He saw the Jesus film, went over to see it, and he picked up one thing. Jesus kept going to the mountains, and he deduced from the film, I need to go to the mountains. He started going to the mountains, and God showed him, appeared to him. He came to Christ, left his family's heritage of being a Buddhist priest, was kicked out of his family, Years ago, and now he has led 60 members of his family to Christ. He just showed up here two weeks ago from India. Satish. Where is Dr. Falak? Stand up. Dr. Falak, share, I could tell you the organic way we connected. I'm going to just tell you real quick. This guy, a couple years ago we went to Dubai, but his ministry is in Pakistan. I'm at a, a conference in Dallas, and it's a bunch of pastors like me. And the guy leading is from South Florida and he says, so what's your greatest challenge? And we're all at small group at tables. And then people began to say, well, my biggest challenge is budget. My biggest challenge, my biggest challenge. And then Falak stood up and he said, my biggest challenge is I'm pastoring in a Muslim country. And everybody's like, we don't have any challenges. The Lord knit our hearts together. He's been here. I think this is the third, maybe the fourth time. His father, his grandfather, listen to this, was unfairly accused by the government many years ago. Imagine that. And then he was put in prison. There was a Scottish missionary who went to Pakistan. His wife was an RN. And that was their way to get to Pakistan. She worked as an RN. He felt called to be a missionary in prisons in Pakistan. He was there 50 years. And he led one person to the Lord. Guess who it was? Falak's grandfather. Falak now has over 60 churches. It's well over 100,000. 100,000 members in those churches Um, Twelve schools, and he was speaking, got a letter from a missionary many years ago who had learned about his conversion. And it was that Scottish missionary who led his father, his only convert, in 50 years to the Lord. And that one convert has now turned in to over 100,000 Pakistanis serving Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody. We praise you, Lord. Listen, um, we've, we're going to take this week, Wednesday night, Coleman is going to be sharing a little bit in the next service. And um, I, I have fumbled the ball. I came up here and began to pray. We have baby dedications this morning. I'm going to beg you all to forgive me. And if you would, if those who are dedicating their babies who were in the first service, if you will stay for the next service, I will buy your lunch for the next one day. And, um, and, uh, and we'll do it at the very beginning, at the early part of the service. And my sincere apologies. I got caught up in prayer and then missions week. And uh, my, my sincere apologies. Now, everybody listen to me. Please listen, okay? This isn't a little program that we're doing on Sunday and we're done. We wanna raise $200,000 this year, this week for missions. There are activities, the children are getting activities for tomorrow night. They're meaningful, very meaningful events that will take place all week long. Do not miss Wednesday night. We have food coming from all over the world. This sanctuary will be full. The food starts at 5.30. There's Indian food, Italian food. I, 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 if I, It's probably listed in here. Everybody listen. Some of the things that shaped my life as a young boy was in my father's, who was a pastor, in our home sitting with evangelists and missionaries in the evening after church and hearing stories like that. The youth group will be in here with us this Wednesday night. Please do everything you can to be here this Wednesday night as we'll hear from each of them and the stories go on and on and on. These are the missionaries that you are supporting and we appreciate each of you and we love you greatly. And so I want you to commit to being with us this week. Everybody good? Turn and tell somebody, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm going to be here this week. I win souls. All right, stand with me. Has this been good? Are you encouraged? Isn't it good to be a part of a church that's building the kingdom? So may the Lord bless you and may He keep you, make His face shine upon you. May He be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Say it, I receive it. Y'all have a great afternoon. I love you.